Hey guys, I'm back. Uh, I do believe this is segment four. Normally, I would do a wrap-up segment for, for an episode on this one, but I want to make sure I continue on this story. Hold on. And finish this bit of information out on this one. Um, I mentioned, I kind of just alluded to the little loco thing and uh, tributes, things like that. The story behind that is, is I won't go into like all of it because I have segments about little loco that will explain it in better detail. But I started, you know, in eighth grade, I wanted to be an actor. I went into classes, I did, you know, John Casablancas, I did the acting, the modeling, I did all that, passed my test with flying colors, and things went wrong as far as being able to keep up with some of the other, the other classes and management and all that. So, I started the haunt acting because, you know, I saw a ad on Facebook and they're hiring, you know, actors for $10 a night, which isn't much, you know, but I was like, you know what, everybody gets started somewhere, and times you don't get paid much, anyway, when you first get started out, you're pretty much a volunteer, but I figured if nothing else, I can volunteer, get started, get back into some of things, be okay, so, when out there, Um, anyway, yes, explosion disorder is a real thing. 
I got into the horn acting and because I missed the horn acting so much at the end of the October slash November, I decided to start doing live feeds with my character that I created and developed her more. And with those live feeds, my husband just, he backed me and he supported me. He saw how happy it made me and he helped me with the when he helped set up sets. He even got me a phone stand so that I could record my live feed without having on my phone and help me with my character and help me come up with ideas and put it together. And seeing, you know, how much it was helping with my stress and stuff like that later on, he started to create his own character. Like he started creating his own character in 2019. We'll get more into that too later in, you know, in other segments. But in all of that, you know, I met quite a few friends, made quite a few friends, people who were really good, really supportive, really, you know, there for me. And because of that, you know, when they found out that he was in the hospital, you know, they knew about him being a strong gun rights advocate. They knew he was an avid motorcyclist, loving to ride, loving to build, loving to create motorcycles. Um, and they knew that he was basically Deadpool incarnate without superpowers. And that's how he described himself, Deadpool without superpowers. Which, you know, he was goofy like that. He was, he was, <laughs> he made people laugh, he would, you know. You also have to read crazy stuff just to get a rise out of people. I mean, I'll go into stories later um, in other segments and other other types of casts, but you know. And when they heard, you know, they did revenue for Bobby. They did, you know, shoot your guns for Bobby, and they did that kind of stuff for him, you know. And. That's where, you know, gathering all those videos up and having them sent to me via messenger and stuff. Um, I got the videos gathered up. I went to the hospital and this leads into to part of what made me go crazy. But I went to the hospital and uh, he also loved watching a character called Biggs on Facebook, who is a haunt actor that is a scary clown, but he's a huggable clown. Um, I always nicknamed him my purple, my big-hearted purple tart, is what I called him. That was my nickname for him. Uh, he also liked watching a duo called Sickin' and Scurvy on Facebook. They do you know, cooking with clowns, with Google Translation, that kind of stuff. And they're funny. Oh my lord, funny. And they're the reason why I got TikTok. I mean, it's, it's, it's that good. Their older stuff that they have is hilarious, okay? They kept me going in so many different ways. And that's the other reason why I started watching more and more live feeds for people and Another reason why I wanted to create live feeds, I wanted to do something like that, bring someone up, make them feel good, make them feel better. You know, I wasn't very good at the comedy aspect of stuff, 
what I was good at was being myself and just screwing up, flubbing up, or stuttering, or whatever you want to call it, and that making people laugh, and I just let it happen, so, but, we get them all gathered up, and I went and played them, okay, I went and played them for them, I was gonna go up there on a Tuesday, so he could watch Biggs' live, or at least listen to it, you know, let's bring listen to it. But I didn't make it in time. Something went wrong. I don't remember what, but something went wrong. So I didn't make it to him in time. But that Wednesday, I went up there. And this is kind of where things get rough on me. But I went up there. I played the Revan to Bobby's video. And I played the Shooting Guns video. And I played a replay of Biggs. You know, told him I was sorry I was late. You know, that it had to be replayed, but I knew you wanted to hear it. And I played a little bit of Cooking with Clowns with Sigmund and Scurvy. And he was reacting, you know, for it to be so, those guys to be so prominent, both big, Sigmund and Scurvy, to be so prominent in his memory that his brain stem even had a pre a positive reaction to those guys. Just floored me, okay? So, after playing all of that, the revving, the little bit of cooking with clarins, with beaks, and, and the gunfire from Mark Hardtop, uh, which is another really good writer, really good, you know, person to watch. Uh, things started to break off, you know, go downhill, and, um, I'll explain that in the next segment, I'll do one more segment, but, he was still, at that moment, the very moment that I finished the videos and stuff, I told him, you know, oh, please don't be mad at me for bringing you to the hospital, I love you, I miss you, you know, I went through all those emotions, those prayers, those, you know, all those things, I did kind of a half hug, because she was in the hospital bed, I couldn't pick him up, I couldn't, you know, set him up, or any of that, but I gave him a half, a half hug, where I squeezed him pretty tight, I gave him a kiss on the forehead, and I rubbed his forehead with my fingers, which is something I do lovingly with. I care about and I took a couple of steps back to you know just look at him and go sit down and listen to his heartbeat and all that stuff when I sat down he turned his head away from me then turned his head to the middle his eyes opened up and I got up, went over to the bedside, his head turned toward me, okay, this is why I got confused, I thought he was doing it, I thought he was back, I thought he was okay, but he turned his head toward me, his eyes sat there for a few minutes and looked at me, okay, focused on me for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden he just laid his head to the side, 
kept his eyes open and his eyes just started wandering. And I was like, at that moment, I knew that was his last jolt, I guess, of energy. His brain's last little something, you know. But when I looked at his eyes, his eyes were not the deep brown that I've always known him to have. They were a bright blue, like brighter than mine. Bright blue. And it was at that moment that I knew he, his brain was not coming back. I knew his brain was not coming back. So, I sat there until he closed his eyes back. Gave another kiss on the forehead. And one last time, I grabbed his hand. He pulled away just a little. I messed with his feet. He pulled away less. And from that day on, he reacted less and less and less every time I touched him. But that day, that night, they took him down, did a brain scan, because I told him he opened his eyes and he actually focused on me for a minute. They wanted to, they were probably thinking the same thing I was, it's a miracle, let's go check this out, let's see if this is for real, let's see what's going on. Take him down there and they do the screen. And they said, uh, we need to have a meeting. And when we did, it was on a Thursday. I was confused on all that, but it was on a Thursday. It was on a... I don't know, I'm confused about my timeline, but I know that we had a meeting a few days later. Okay? Stop. And I said, well, we need to have a meeting with all of the family because nobody's going to believe me. They're not going to want to believe what you have, believe it, what you have to say. I have a feeling you already know what you're going to say, but, you know, they need to hear it from me, not me. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. They're mad at me right now. And so we did. So, anyway, I'm going to stop my segment here. Is running over into 15 minutes, and I, like I said, I, I just, these segments are going to be longer than I want them to be, and I'm sorry for rambling on, but it's, I really want you guys to get the understanding, <clears throat> but, as always, keep your chin up, take it one day at a time, it does get better, easier, not better, but easier, but, Love, hope, smiles. And try to pay any kindness you get forward to people in need. That's what this world needs right now. But I will be back here in a little bit. Later, guys. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Episode 2, Segment 5 of Diary of a Mad Widow. <laughs> um, I left off with the brain scan and everything in the last one um and something i want to remind you guys of is before his heart attack ever hit uh he promised me he no he made me promise to let him go to that he about his dnr 
Not to bring him back. Not to, you know, take any action. And like I said, legally, because there wasn't anything posted, he didn't have anything set up at the doctor's office, where they didn't have it on record. So I had to call 911, had to go to the hospital. So, and my promise to him was, once they did the brain scan, if they said he wasn't coming back, that there was no way, you know, he would mentally function correctly, I would let him go. I would take him off of life support, and I would let him go. It would kill me, but I'd let him go. Which brings me back to the hospital doing the brain scan, going through, checking him out. They would not show me the pictures of the brain scan. But what they ultimately told me was that the only thing working in his brain was his brain stem. And that he had occasional random fires going on in his head right now. And that was why there were reactions. That's why there were was movement. And that's why his kidneys and everything was still functioning. But they said because of the damage and the fact that the brain stem was the only thing that was carrying him along... Eventually, because of the lack of oxygen, the lack of blood flow and everything to his brain for so long, that those individual cells that at the moment were still alive would slowly die. Therefore, his bodily function would slowly die. And I was like, okay, so he's not coming back. There's no... I was so out of... I was even so out of my mind with grief and desperation that I even asked the doctors, okay? And I know it was a stupid question, okay? But I even asked the doctors if there was a way they could shock his brain and wake his brain cells back up so he could come back. And he said, no, there's no way they could do that. Which, I knew the answer. But again, mad widow, desperate widow, out of my mind with grief widow, already knowing what was coming. But I had to try to ask. So, in that retrospect of knowing that it was time to let him go, I emotionally tried to prepare myself for that very thing. And you don't. You can't. It doesn't. There is no preparation. I mean, you can pay for the funeral. You can start saying your goodbyes early so that it doesn't hit you as hard when they pass, but it still hits you hard. And they didn't expect him to last as long as he did, but they knew it would be at least, it'd be a few days. Anywhere from three to seven days before his body actually gave out. And me not understanding that brain, lack of brain function means you don't 
feel what's going on. You don't know what's going on. I wanted to continue pain meds. I wanted them to continue, you know, moving his legs and, and keeping circulation. And I wanted them to continue things that were pretty much a waste of the staff's time. But I had... I didn't know. You know, I, it didn't sink in. I didn't... I was in denial still. I was still hopeful. So... They let me stay in the hospital with them and sleep next to them for a few nights. I didn't know how to, I didn't know that I could shave him and, and, and take care of him like that myself at the hospital. And I was too scared of hurting him. I know, I know, but I was scared of hurting him. I was scared of giving him some sort of infection by shaving him wrong or something like that. It, it, it was unfounded fear, but still. But I kept his teeth clean. I cleaned his eyes. I made sure that the nurses came in and took care of the things that I couldn't, which was knowing how to move his tongue clean his mouth so that he didn't choke on his tongue or choke on whatever it is you were cleaning his mouth with. I watched them. I tried to learn and I did some some of it myself. Cleaning him up and then his face, his hands, you know, stuff like that. But I left demoving him to them, the flipping him over keeping him on his side, moving him back and forth, you know. I left all that to them because they knew what they were doing and my back wouldn't be able to handle it. Because I've been dealing with my back injury stuff since 2015. So. But that's where I went. That's where, you know, the emotions went downhill. That's where I finally got to be his wife. He would not let me do things for him try to take care of him and be there for him the entire time we've been together. So I got to be his wife. I got to be there for him. I got to take care of him. I got to make sure that he was taken care of. I got to, you know, rub his feet and keep his circulation going. I got to rub his neck and help loosen some of that up, help with blood flow. I got to do the things that I wanted to do for him while he was alive and could appreciate it, you know? I got to lay with him one more time. I got to sleep with him a few more nights. I got to hold his hand, I got to hug him, I got to listen to his heartbeat. I even recorded uh, his breathing, so when he passed, I could listen to it. Uh, I got pictures of his hands. I got imprint of his hands. It was after he passed away, but I got a handprint so that I could make a hand I could hold on to when I was missing him. So, I got that, you know. I haven't finished it because I didn't want to uh, 
uh, mess it up. I only got one chance. One chance because the mold broke. So the cast I have, that's it. So I have to be careful about the shaping and the molding and the getting his finger shaped just right and making sure it don't shrink and all these things that I have to be careful of because it's a one and done, that's it. Um, so I did those kinds of things, you know, I, I, to prepare for him being gone. I uh, was exhausted because I wasn't really getting much sleep. Because every time his breathing changed in the slightest bit, it woke me up. I was good at the few little hours of deep sleep I got. I was drug out of my sleep because his breathing changed. He would groan or something like that, and I would think he was waking up. And I'd wake up, and I'd watch him like a hawk. It didn't really change much because I did the same thing when he was living because when he slept next to me because of his sleep apnea. I was his breathing machine. And tell me quit breathing, it woke me up and I would move his I would I would shake him a little to get him to gasp for air. So again spiritually connected. Uh, but I did. I finally got to be his wife and do things for him so that actually kind of helped me too with the grieving process but they my last act of being his wife while he was alive was going to the nurse's station and making them clean him up just because he was in a coma and I knew he was dying anyway, did not give them excuse to leave him in his own soil. Leaving laying in a nasty bed and sores, you know, bed sores. So I raised holy hell. Pardon my French, my language, but I did. I raised holy heck. They got him cleaned up, and then I was like, I gotta go home, I gotta get some sleep, but I'll be back. I told him that, I'd be back, forgive me, I'm sorry, don't go anywhere, not yet. So I went home, got some laundry done, got some things cleaned up, got some sleep that night, kinda. And, uh, I had a dream of him giving me a hug. You know, and then uh, got laundry caught up, got a list of relief for school, got you know all that taken care of. Was well, her ready to go somewhere. She was or something. I don't know. I don't think she was back with me yet. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's right. She spent time with those family members. Um. But I stayed the night, one more night, I stayed home, one more night, and I had another dream where he 
looked like he did when we were dating. And when we first started dating. And he gives me this big, huge hug. He says, I love you, but it's time for me to go. And I said, well, just don't go yet. I'll see you tomorrow. In my dream. That's what I said, in my dream. And that, that Sunday, Father's Day, I put on the clothes she was wearing in my dream. And I went to the hospital. And when I got there, they said, you know, his lung, one of his lungs quit breathing, quit working. You know, they, it, it quit working for a little while. And I said, well, he shouldn't be breathing just fine with both of them now. Well, that was a sign. I said, and I got mad. I got livid. I said, this kind of crap is what pisses me off. You know, he could have died without me here, and I'd have been madder than heck. I want to be here with him. I want to be here for him. I said, okay. I was there about 11.30 when I got there. And that's when I did all the cussing and hollering. And I checked on him, and he was soiled again. He was dirty again. So I went in there and I said, I know he's dying, but let him die with dignity. Get him cleaned up. Get him cleaned up. I don't know how long he was sitting there like that. But they came in. This one nurse was like, uh, he was leaking. Because he had a catheter. He was leaking. And she said, you know, he's extended. You know, it's, it's not working properly. So, she said, well, we're just going to go ahead and pull this out and we'll get them all cleaned up and everything. As they were cleaning him up, they, they rolled him over to one side. I gave him a big old hug and held him. I said, okay, baby, I understand. I get it. If you got to go... I gotta go. I'll figure out a way to make it. I'll figure out a way to make it on my own. But I get it now. I understand. I am here, though. You're not dying alone. I am here with you. Big ol' hug. Big ol' kiss on the forehead. They laid him back on his back and propped his feet up and everything. And not but... 10, 15 minutes after they left the room, I had sat down next to him and I grabbed his hand. And that's when he took his last breath and blew out his last breath. And that, that hurt. That hurt. And that's when the real weird and crazy stuff started to happen. Called my mom, posted it on Facebook so that way everybody would know the real time. I kept things public because I didn't, because at the time there were reports of hospitals claiming someone would die of unknown causes and then later on change it to COVID-19 so that they got more money for the hospital and so I made it very public 
to make damn sure they didn't try to make money off of my husband when they barely took care of him. There were a few good nurses in there that really did their job, but that was few and far between. So, I did that. I let it be known. I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And they told me I had to go. They had to get him ready for the coroners to come get him. And I was like, okay. And I was a little leery because of those guys. They cleaned his liver and lungs and all that. And they went through all that testing and everything and called this group that looks for volunteers to voluntarily just give up a body in order to help others get organ donation that would otherwise not be able to afford it and there was a whole process with that but they were like vultures they were all calling me they were all trying to get in there before he passed away and I said you know if he didn't die within a few hours we can't use it anyway I said okay well he didn't he lasted five days but still um I was leery about it but I went ahead and left, and that's when his they his family showed up, was able to go up there, his cousins, his aunts, and mom, and dad, dad and brother, you know, uncles, whatever, go see him and say goodbye. So, and at that point, that's one thing, like I said, the really weird stuff started happening. So, I'll get into that later. I'm well over my time. I am sorry for rambling. But it, um, I'll start the weird stuff in the next episode. So, anyway, you guys keep your chin up. It gets easier. You don't, like I said, you don't get over it, but it does get easier. And I love you guys. You know, keep your chin up. Try to keep smiling. I know how hard it is, but try to keep smiling. It does help when you can look in the mirror and smile. But, love you guys, and I will see you in the... Well, I will talk to y'all in the next episode. Again, sorry for the time being so long. Alright, talk to you later. Bye.